Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With the current tumult in Israeli politics, we may have to wait even longer for Jared Kushner's long-awaited peace plan. On September 17th, Israel will have to go back to the ballot box in the hope that a government can be formed. After the last elections, Prime Minister Netanyahu failed to form a new coalition. In the meantime, the first son-in-law may be showing some of his cards. When asked by Axios recently whether Palestinians are capable of governing themselves, he demurred. Then he said he hopes over time they can become capable of governing themselves. So let's bring in longtime Palestinian official Hanan Ashrawi and Republican foreign policy advisor Dan Sino. Dan, what is happening you know, is there a debate within the administration? Take us behind the scenes. Well, the debate is with each day that passes, the U.S. government loses leverage in this process. And so the hope was to get this done before the most recent Israeli election. They couldn't get it done before the Israeli election because the Israeli government didn't want it to happen on the eve of the Israeli election or during the Israeli election. And then it couldn't happen during the process of coalition negotiations to form a government because this would create problems for Netanyahu on the right. So they said, let us get through the formation of the government. They got through the formation of the government. And guess what? There's now another election. Realistically, that election happens in September. It'll take 30 to 45 days to form a government when you count in the Jewish holidays, which won't be part of the process for forming the government. So you're looking at basically early to mid-November for a new Israeli government to be formed, which will be one year before the U.S. presidential election. So time is an issue here. It doesn't mean all is lost. It doesn't mean a process can't be started. But the internal debate within the administration will be how hard to push in this time context. Uh, Hanan, when you look at this plan, and from what we can tell, you know, the outlines appear to be the Palestinians are given a certain amount of resources for economic development and an attempt to integrate them better into the Israeli economy, but not the core demands of statehood that have long been at the, at the heart of the Palestinian uh, uh, movement. Uh, what is your reaction? Well, my reaction is that this so-called peace plan suffers from th- three very basic flaws. One is that it is very elusive. It is almost a mirage that keeps receding uh, with time and depending, of course, as Dan said, on the Israeli uh, timetable and domestic Israeli issues. Then two, the Americans, this administration is unilaterally taking concrete steps on the ground that are totally prejudicial and illegal and that are preventing any kind of viable or any kind of legal or any kind of acceptable peace plan. The issue of Jerusalem, the issue of refugees, the annexation of the Golan, the uh, total defunding of the Palestinians, including hospitals and scholarships and so on, refusal to accept the two-state solution, legalizing settlements. All these are steps and positions that are illegal and that totally destroy the uh, very credibility of whatever plan they have. And third, now you have Kushner coming out with the economic component, saying, uh, of course, in a very, very patronizing and racist way, that the Palestinians are on probation. We have to prove that we are worthy of our rights. 
and that we may not be able to run our lives and that we do need help. And I wrote about this as the white man's burden again. That this kind of language is entirely unacceptable, this kind of racism and putting the Palestinians on probation in order to uh, see whether we deserve our freedom is unacceptable. Um, Dan, it does seem to me that there is a, a kind of misreading here in the sense that, you know, Jared Kushner is a businessman and he seems to be approaching this like a businessman. We will we'll give you these, these great resources. He's promising $50 billion. Most of it, you know, seems pretty illusory to me, but let's assume that you actually got some money. But, you know, national pride and dignity often trump economics, not just for the Palestinians, for the Israelis, for the Iranians, for the America. I mean, I think we sometimes forget that, you, you know, not everything runs on economics alone. Yeah, I, I would just say that I think the way the administration and specifically Jared are viewing this is in the context of the gradual soft normalization that's going on between the Israeli government and Arab governments throughout the Sunni Arab world. A very senior official in a, a Gulf Sunni country said to me a year ago in, the, in, in talking about this potential for this process is, look, there's a future in the Middle East and there's a past. We want to be the future. We, the Sunni Arab world, we believe Israel is the future. It's debatable whether or not the Palestinian leadership is the future or the past. We're going to get this process going. They'll either show up or they won't. The administration does not think there's a lot of downside to this. Like if, if there are images beaming out of Bahrain at the end of June of Palestinian entrepreneurs, Israeli leaders, Arab world leaders all sitting, talking in workshops, and those images are being beamed into places like Ramallah, are young Palestinians going to look at that and say, why aren't we part of this? Uh, Hanan, what about that? Is, is it possible that the, the Sunni Arabs are now aligning themselves so closely or increasingly closely with Israel that they will not uh, spend a lot of time, energy or political capital defending some core demands of the Palestinians and instead be more interested in better relations with Israel? Well, this is one way in which this American administration has been trying to reward Israel, to normalize Israel within the Arab world, to deliver uh, to Israel the Arab world, and at the same time to maintain its occupation. If anybody has any knowledge of the context, of the history, of the core issues, they will understand that no Arab leader, no matter how autocratic they seem to think he is, is going to accept, first of all, Israel's annexation of Jerusalem, or the negation of Palestinian refugee rights, or maintaining the Palestinians under occupation, no matter how much they try to know the ability of the leadership, which is the Palestinian question. Uh, I have to ask you before I let you go, Dan, uh, what is going to happen to Bibi Netanyahu? It seemed like he was, you know, a new term, he was going to be the longest. So study found that if the U.S. kept working hours in line with European standards, it would consume 20% less energy and cut carbon emissions by 3%. And a standardized four-day work week could also reduce the gender pay gap, making it easier for parents to share childcare duties and not forcing young mothers into less demanding, less lucrative work. In sum, better health, cleaner air, progress toward gender equality. Who knew that extending summer Fridays could have such a big impact? Next on GPS, Secretary of State Pompeo says the U.S. is ready to talk to Iran. President Trump says Iran wants to talk to the U.S. We'll sort out fact from fiction when we return. They're failing as a nation, and I don't want them to fail as a nation. They can, we can turn that around very quickly. I understand they want to talk 
and if they want to talk, that's fine. We'll we'll talk. But the one thing that they can't have is they can't have nuclear weapons. President Trump in Cannes, France, on Thursday, talking about Iran. Perhaps he knows something we don't, but Iranian officials say they will not talk to Washington. The Islamic Republic's supreme leader rejected the idea again in a speech on Tuesday that was broadcast on state TV. Indeed, he told America to stay away from Iran in that speech. So how is America's pressure campaign playing in Iran? Joining me now is Dina Esfandiari, a scholar on all things Iran. She's a fellow at the Belfer Center at Harvard's Kennedy School. The administration's view, uh, the Trump administration, seems to be the Iran deal was terrible. We're putting back the sanctions uh, because we want a better deal. And it's never been entirely clear what that deal was. The President Trump, and I think in the, the most recent interview, said the problem with the deal is was too short a duration. There are other people who said they wanted other things included, like missiles. Is there a prospect that if you put, keep this, this pressure on, the Iranians would agree to a new and better version of the Iran deal? Had you asked me this question right after the 2015 nuclear deal and said, is there a prospect for dialogue to continue um, in order to address other issues like missiles, as you said, then I would have said, yes, absolutely. Give it a little bit of time and now we can return to the negotiating table. Today, it's very difficult. The U.S. has lost a lot of credibility by stepping away from the deal. So from Tehran's perspective, why would you re-enter into negotiations with the United States? And what could you possibly get from them? What kind of assurance could you get from them that would make it worth it? Um, w when you look at what's going on in Iran, uh, President Trump's comments that they are hurting are absolutely true, right? The Iranian economy is going to contract by 6% this year. The currency is down more than 50%. What is that doing in Iran? Well, it's creating a lot of problems, um, both on the economic side, but also on the political side. It's undeniable that the Iranian public is tired. They're frustrated. There was a lot of hope right after the nuclear deal that things would improve for them, and clearly they haven't. And you've seen this over the course of the last year with uh, a range of different kinds of demonstrations and expressions of frustration. But the problem is that the Iranians don't want today a, a massive regime change. They don't want revolution. They want a reform of the current system. Because last time they had a revolution, things didn't end up the way they wanted it to. When you look forward, what will this pressure do on the assumption that there is no dialogue? Um, is there a possibility of conflict? Iran does have proxies in, uh, in various parts of the Middle East. What happens? Where do we go from here? Well, the problem with this maximum pressure campaign, frankly, is that it's unclear what its goals are. If the goal is to get Iran to return to the negotiating table, well, that doesn't seem to work because they're asking for Iran's capitulation before it does come to the negotiating table. If the goal is regime change, that's unlikely to happen because external pressure unites the Iranian public, unites the system in the face of an external enemy. So, and if... And, if the other goal is conflict, well, again, to what effect? What are you going to try to achieve by creating uh, a military conflict with Iran? Nobody, the Iranians, the Americans, even Iran's regional neighbors, nobody wants conflict because it's unclear what will happen if that happens. Yeah, so you've sort of raised uh, the level of tension in the region without it being clear what it serves. Absolutely. That seems to have been exactly what they've done so far. And the problem is if you don't have an end game in mind or your policy isn't clear, which at the moment it doesn't really seem to be, then you can't expect the Iranians to react in a way that m makes sense for you. They're going to end up doing what makes sense for them. 
Dina, fascinating insights. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next on GPS, this is a picture of Winston Churchill 75 years ago, just after the D-Day invasion. He's all smiles here, but according to my next guest, Churchill wasn't at all happy before the invasion or about the invasion. Why? Find out when we come back. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.